to Doxed, the podcast. What happens when you find yourself catapulted into overnight stardom, becoming one of the most recognizable faces of an entire marginalized group? Dylan Mulvaney is an actress and TikTok personality who has captured the hearts of millions through her engaging content and her empowering journey of gender transition. Since early 2022, Dylan has fearlessly documented her experiences and reflections on TikTok, captivating audiences with her bubbly and authentic character. Dylan's rise to prominence has been nothing short of extraordinary. With a dedicated following of over 10 million on TikTok, her influence extends far beyond the digital realm. Her video series, Days of Girlhood, has reached remarkable milestones, accumulating over 1 billion views, an impressive testament to the impact of her narrative. In October 2022, she was even invited to speak with US President Joe Biden at the White House, shining a spotlight on transgender rights and advocating for the recognition and protection of transgender individuals. While Dylan's story is one of triumph and self-love, it is also crucial to recognize the darker side of her online journey. She has faced significant challenges, particularly in the face of cyberbullying and the exploitation of her identity for political purposes. As a trans creator in the public eye, Dylan has encountered both the immense support of her followers and the relentless backlash from those who seek to undermine her personhood and rights. Dylan's narrative highlights broader political implications surrounding trans issues and sheds light on the harsh realities faced by marginalized individuals on social media. Join us as we unpack Dylan Mulvaney's remarkable story and learn what it means to stay boldly authentic, even in a world that tries to cut you down at every turn. talk about dylan mulvaney we love dylan yeah she seems like a really genuinely she gives me similar vibes to like mama tot just like a genuinely sweet person good person kind person so i liked her ever since early days of girlhood time i don't know how many days she was in when i first started seeing those but they're just sweet like I saw this Washington Examiner article that was just offensive, just rude. Everybody's so hell-bent on misgendering her. It's just weird. Mm-hmm. And part of it was that it it said, uh, it said leftists celebrated it for being a helpful and in-depth look into a person's transition, as referring to like her Days of Girlhood series. And conservatives mm-hmm. mocked and ridiculed it as a delusion personified to the highest degree. But the, the like leftists did not celebrate it for being a helpful look into a or like maybe in the media, I guess, and whatever media I don't care about. But no, it's because she's like fun and sweet and reassuring. And it does feel like she describes her content as kind of like she pretends like she's FaceTiming with you. And it feels like mm-hmm. that, like you're FaceTiming with your really sweet friend. And you're so excited for her and hearing about the updates and stuff. That's not just like, it's just weird. The title of that was Meet Dylan Mulvaney, the man who became a millionaire by identifying as a woman, which is just like offensive for no reason. That's so offensive and stupid. It's offensive for no reason. I don't even know. Like Dylan exudes more pure feminine energy than I do. I swear to God. More than I do. I swear she does. And you know what I also think? She's the daintiest little flower in the field. She is. She's beautiful. And I think the other cool thing about her is she's been also kind of leaning into like a them, they, them era, which is so, I love seeing that kind of like challenge of, of the binary, especially in the position that she's in, where it's like all on her shoulders in this weird way. She's like a major representation of trans people right now just because of the size of tiktok she's got like 10 million followers and she's got like millions on instagram 
so yeah, that's really hard to kind of want to still be on a journey with your identity while you're living it so publicly and like having to perform it so publicly. And she always does mm-hmm. it so gracefully. And I Even really know she gets so much her. hate and she yeah. gets a lot of hate for like, she gets a lot of hate specifically from white trans women. Blair White, the YouTuber whom I can't fucking stand her. She might as well be Trump. Um, she goes after Dylan really, really hard on YouTube. If you search Dylan Mulvaney on YouTube, it's just hate videos from conservative fucking alt-right political commentators. Yeah. But also, um, Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner had shitty things to say about Dylan. It's like, really? You of all people? You, Caitlyn? That's weird. I'm not trans. I don't I, I don't know a whole lot about that experience, but from the outside looking in as a fellow marginalized person with with lots of intersectionalities, it just it's shitty. It's giving shitty. I don't like it. Yeah. I mean Caitlyn Jenner just exudes a lot of privilege. Yeah. Caitlyn Jenner just exudes a lot of privilege and a lot of her takes are just like, I, I don't know, a headache. <laughs> and Blair White too. It's the same kind of like uh there was another creator also that kind of recently blew up on TikTok for being oh, Kelly a- Cadigan. Yeah, Kelly Cadigan, like a talking head yes. over there and then got all upset. And it's like, well, duh, they were not a good com- they didn't they were never gonna accept you. There's a ceiling there. You're not gonna like stand them enough that you that you can get into the center. Oops. So that's just a shit take. <laughs> It just sounds like with that particular type of trans woman, you can tell even without knowing much about what it's like to transition, without knowing much about the trans experience, you can tell as a marginalized person on the outside looking in that a transition occurred without any fucking deconstruction of patriarchy at all. Yeah, absolutely. And you see it in other kinds of queer spaces sometimes, too where especially when they're just white and male dominated or just white in general there's a lot of that like lack of deconstruction that just that kind of weirdly leads you back to the same so and not everywhere obviously uh i agree that exists so yeah i i like her a lot because she's not um I don't know. I feel like she's very radically herself and very in a public limelight which makes that really hard. And there is a lot of trolling that goes her way, especially after this, there was this Bud Light uh, partnership that she did, basically just a TikTok video of, and everybody, a bunch of conservative people made it a talking point, basically, and it went super viral. And she has been being followed for months now, probably in relation to that. She has been threatened at one point. She went, well, she went on vacation to like Peru, but, and she was kind of talking about it like it was really just a vacation, but she also was saying she had to leave the country to feel safe. And a lot of people were directing a lot of hate at her. There was also a commercial. The thing that really disappoints me about the Budweiser campaign is that they did not follow up with any kind of support after the partnership which she said is more irresponsible, and I agree, than if you just didn't partner with somebody in the first place when they're part of a, a often targeted community. So Dylan Mulvaney did a brand deal with Bud Light where she did a, t- a TikTok video, I think just one TikTok video, and I believe they printed her image on a can that she got. Like, it wasn't like her image was on cans in stores. I think they made a special one for her. And she showed that can on her Instagram and in the TikTok video, which sparked transphobic outrage nationwide, where mostly conservative white dude Bud Light drinkers were going viral, making videos, denouncing the brand separating themselves from the brand dumping their bud light out stores were throwing their bud light out and it became a whole national protest of bud light 
because a trans woman did an ad an ad campaign for Bud Light. That's basically like the crux of the Bud Light thing. People were pissed because she's trans and had the nerve to do a brand deal that she was asked to do by the company. And on top of people protesting the brand and Bud Light losing millions of dollars, people also came directly for Dylan. And we know how it goes on TikTok when people decide to hate you. It's terrible. On Dylan Mulvaney's scale, with so much visibility and tens of millions of followers and probably double the amount of haters on TikTok, it became extremely dangerous for her when she already has such a huge following of transphobic trolls that just love to fuck with her online so it became increasingly and increasingly dangerous for her in addition to all of that drama Bud Light Budweiser as a corporation said absolutely nothing they've been completely silent not a statement not a tweet nothing they haven't even reached out to Dylan to say hey are you alive are you okay you good what she's what she has said is worse than arguably than just not even partnering with somebody in the first place. And I think I agree with that because especially when somebody's from a vulnerable community or when they're very likely to be targeted like this, this is a dangerous thing to do to somebody. And I also feel like she also described TikTok as like high school, which is very familiar feeling to me. And I was thinking about how I bet another part that played in all of that is that shallowness of the relationships between influencers on that app where even if if you're really big you might feel like you have a lot of friends but they're very mm-hmm. fair with their friends people do really act like adults in high school and i guess you know there's younger people on there too but the restrictions mean that people under a certain age can't go viral so usually your influencer friends are like adults but they there is it is like a weird high school mm-hmm and uh there's not any protection for a lot of people it was cool that bud light reached out to her to partner with her that seemed like the right move it seemed like a cool thing to do and what i was hoping would have happened when all the country bumpkins decided to not support bud light anymore so much of the talk that i saw on tiktok about that was like oh well that's great they chose to partner with dylan because they want to be on the right side of history so if they're losing y'all as customers that's probably fine because they'll gain us and i was like okay yeah i can get behind that but then crickets you're just like waiting for bud light to say something inclusive and in support of marginalized people and it was just nothing it was such a missed opportunity to gain a whole new customer base yeah they could have and i don't really Think campaign. I don't really think companies usually lose money when those things happen anyway, because people just they have to buy their stuff to destroy. They did for silly. You think they lost money? Oh yeah, because eventually people stopped buying. Like they maybe they bought to destroy to make content. Maybe they already had it because people tend to load up on Bud Light because it's piss water beer. You have to drink a twenty four pack to even get a buzz. So they probably had it stockpiled. And was able to destroy it. But maybe some people did buy to destroy. People did the same thing with Nike. Here's an example of a huge multi-billion dollar brand not missing an opportunity to stand on the right side of history. God, what's his name? Uh, Colin Kaepernick during Black Lives Matter. He's very outspoken football player who was very much in support of Black Lives Matter and would kneel during the national anthem and start like a whole movement a whole national anthem movement where people could stand in solidarity by taking a knee during the anthem and i don't think he was able to like get on another football team forever like i don't even know if he plays football anymore but nike sponsored him and he did an ad campaign for nike And people were burning their Nike shit, burning their sneakers, burning their jerseys, whatever. And Nike's not cheap. But Nike totally stood behind Colin Kaepernick and stood behind Black Lives Matter. And then, you know, gained the love and support of a whole other set of people because they were doing the right thing. 
which is what Bud Light could have done. But they did not. So instead, a trans woman got harassed for months. She also has only been on TikTok as a famous face for like a year or like more than a year, but not very long at all. Like uh, July 26 would have been day 500 of being a girl. So and that was really her big series that blew up. So that's a little over a year, right? Yeah. That's not a lot of time to acclimate to being somebody that's recognizable on the street the way that they, the way that Dylan is. Must mm-hmm. be. I think I would recognize Dylan on the street. <laughs> and uh, they also described uh, this study. Apparently, 50% of Americans are pro Dylan, which is kind of a scary number. And they described it as a Black Mirror episode because politicians get pulled like that. And like, who else gets pulled like that? Like, what a weird position to be in when you were just some person who went on TikTok like last year, you know? Crazy. And I think it's interesting because she has, she has and acknowledges that she has pretty privilege and she's white and it puts her in a position to get this huge following in the first place but there's also this like limit again to being in the center because it doesn't really protect her at the end of the day in the same way that other people that are marginalized in other ways are just not protected at the end of the day it doesn't matter if they're rich so you can have like a certain privilege like being wealthy but you still can be racially profiled at the end of the day and it's Mm -hmm. it's the same thing like she's still pretty unsafe and so it's almost like, I mean, it's a pretty bold thing to live your life so publicly when you live so far outside of the norm. Because I think when you when you are unashamed and so joyful, that sets off the defenses of people who are not secure in themselves. And they often will react with anger and violence when they are confronted with the idea that they don't have to be the thing that they assume they have to be, for example, or the world doesn't have to work the way that it has to work in order for them to justify the things that they do. And, you know, instead of dealing with that cognitive dissonance, people get angry and people get violent. So Mm -hmm. it's a pretty bold thing, no matter what privilege you have to live your life so publicly and boldly and, and joyfully. And joy is really really important to represent i think trans joy black joy the same as representing the struggles and it's really gross and weird how tiktok kind of pushes like struggles and not joy for example well not just tiktok i think media does that too specifically to bipoc people like trauma porn yeah and just our society in general i believe is particularly cruel to trans women specifically and i'm not sure why that is versus trans men i think maybe because trans men or trans masks non-binary people if if they can like pass as a dude there's like an automatic privilege there there's automatic like respect and listening to what they say and not questioning them even if they're not quite performing masculinity just like if they can pass at a glance there's automatic privilege there but for trans women that doesn't seem to quite be the case unless they're really really passing as like a hyper feminine which no one's owed masculinity or feminine like no one's owed being asked to make anyone else feel comfortable with their identity that shouldn't be like a requirement to be respected and safe in society but it does seem like trans women just get the hate a lot more than trans men do i think in a particular way which is the violence of men is more directed at trans women than any other group of queer trans people i think because i think they just are so challenging to some of their deepest things that they're unwilling to unpack and their and their ego problems, the problems of toxic masculinity. I think with even with trans men who don't pass, then I think men generally would just regard somebody as not a real person or like too weak to be a threat. 
but a trans woman poses a threat when you have a wrong idea about what you should have and who you should have sexual control over. Mm. Uh, I think that's really what it's about. I think it's that people have a misplaced understanding of what they are owed from other people. And part of, I guess, the societal exchange of gender is, is really set up to set up with those assumptions, but it's totally toxic and nobody owes you anything. And, but yeah, that results in people lashing out with extreme violence and because they can't, they can't do anything else. They're not prepared. They're too fragile to do any kind of unpacking of that. I think that's what happens. And so it's really telling, like, it's just really revealing of of an abusive nature when people react like that, frankly, or just like a misunderstanding of the autonomy of other people. The idea that there could be different lives and that doesn't have to threaten yours. It's very telling about toxic masculinity that that is a big difference, you know, and the same thing with the way that people react to, to trans people in sports, which always just kind of gets my goat because everybody's always up in arms about trans women in sports. Like they're not, first of all, they're not universally or statistically larger, better, faster, stronger, whatever than, than cis women in the same sports. They don't statistically or universally win the game. Like that's, that's just, have you even, you haven't been around at all. You're just saying a thing. There's that's also trans men in sports men. absolutely dominating. Well, that's, my, that's my other point. That's my other point. Nobody ever cares about the trans men in sports because it's like they don't see people as a threat, but also because the issue with a lot of fans of women's sports that kick up the issue is that they're there to ogle the women and sexualize mm. the women instead mm. of just letting women also play sports. And so that's why it's a problem. If you didn't sexualize all the sports <laughs> women... You wouldn't have a problem if they were trans. It's gross of you. It's weird boundaries of you. So that always bothers me, that entire conversation, because it's just like it reveals so much about your nature and why I would not want to be around you in my daily life. Gross. That's so true. So all pretty exhausting. And then there's like this binary, non-binary thing. And I do just love Dylan as, as just an icon. She's just like... And also, like, I love this they, them era, which is just, like, on fire. And, like, we don't have, we, there's not a lot of, like, NB icons. There's, like, Janelle Monet. There's, like, a lock mm -hmm. icon. There's, <laughs> like, that's about it. There's me. And there's uh, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who's, Dylan's one, who's Dylan's friend that they hang out with a lot? They were both on that Trump ad that I I did a I did a TikTok video about the Trump ad that went pretty viral and it got a bunch of like it's weird when you get viral past a certain level of TikTok then you get an influx of comments from people that disagree with you all of a sudden like after a certain threshold so I was getting a bunch of mm -hmm. like Trump supporting transphobes on that one and that was a pain yes. because they're all dumb <laughs> dumb and wrong but that ad was so interesting because it also the thing I was highlighting in my video was that it ties into white supremacy so much because basically it wasn't like an official ad, I guess, but the Trump campaign or whatever put out this like super cut of talking about how the mysterious global elite is going to come take us over. And part of it was like, they're here to convince you that men are women. And they showed like a video of Dylan and uh, her friend. I can't remember. Hold on. Let me do <laughs> the name. Hold on. I know exactly what her, what their face looks like. James Rose, that's it. So this ad shows Dylan Mulvaney and James Rose. It also is talking about how like they're going to reclaim America for the, the people that it belongs to or something. And then it shows like literally like a it's like a baseball stadium or something. And it's like bleachers full of just white people. And it's just like a very disturbing a uh, very white supremacist overtones ad that also just throws in a misgendering of Dylan and James in there for some reason. Uh, but not for some reason, for every reason of all of this ties back to white supremacy is the final answer. But I mean, that's really scary to get wrapped up at that level of politics too. When you're again, just like last year, some person who went on TikTok <laughs> Um, that's a lot of hate. 
And Dylan isn't someone that makes political content. So it's weird to get dragged up into a whole campaign, political campaign, and have your content and your face just be smeared around something like that. And to be pointed at as like you have some evil agenda to like turn all the children, turn all the frogs gay. Like, I don't know. It must be awful when like she's not even... She's not even make con- making content that's even anything like that, that even talks about politics, really. And it sucks when your identity is just inherently politicized because people can't help themselves. Yeah, it's I mean, it also just speaks to like the inherent politicization, like when you are anything outside of the center. You don't choose to be political your life is political. And I also think maybe there needs to be like a delineation between like, there's like federal politics. So there's the government and there's politics in terms of people get elected to positions in the government, but there's a different kind of politics, which is social politics. There's a, there's a pretty well-known phrase of the personal is political. And I think that's what that that means you can't it's not like something you can escape so it's not like something you're engaging in you're literally just existing and that makes you a political uh voice i don't know if you're speaking i guess but even just existing like taking up space is like a political act for people that are outside of the center yeah it's exhausting yeah because you don't <sighs> get to turn it off depending on your like levels of privilege Again, some people mm-hmm. can mask or pass, but other people can't or don't. And that's that's not, uh, it is exhausting. It's exhausting because then it's just constant like battle. And I think that's part of what's so important to uh, showing trans joy and showing black joy and maybe not even showing, like representation is good because it's important to see people as human, but also that can be the kind of thing that can just be shared in closed spaces, but it act- absolutely exists. And it's some of the most beautiful thing thing in the world is just like joyous times with community that is mm-hmm. like you, that you can share experiences and you can share joy. That's super, super empowering and super energizing. But that's kind of what I was trying to share with you yesterday when we had like kind of a conversation about this i was sharing with you like coming out versus like calling people into my experience like coming out versus inviting people in and when i think of queer joy in my reality in my life experience as i'm experiencing queer joy myself in real time I don't want to necessarily come out because not everyone deserves to partake in my joy. Not everyone deserves to not even partake in it, but witness it, especially if they are against it or against me out. No, I just want to exist and then invite my loved ones into my experience and invite my loved ones into witness the, the love that I'm creating, witness my relationship, how we grow and evolve, we can celebrate each other. That sounds like a joyous experience to me versus coming out and having to deal with hatred and danger and being unsafe and being poked at and questioned and being labeled with some kind of agenda. Like, I don't care for that. I don't. I don't want to, I don't need, I don't want that. (laughs) I just, I have enough fights to fight. And this one is not a fight I want to fight. Not that I don't want to like stand in solidarity with the battles that queer people as a community have to continue to battle together. It's not like I want to separate myself from that. But when it comes to my experience of joy, I'm not, I don't want, not everyone gets invited in to witness that. Yes, it is. It is not something that everybody just deserves to see openly. And I thought that was a really interesting concept, too. And I was thinking about it in terms of that, like masculine feminine uh, dichotomy that 
parallels with like going out into the world and seeking and going on like a fool's journey and traveling forward and outward to find things versus kind of like coming in, bringing in into the home, into the internal world, the family world. And I feel like the pandemic changed the whole rotation of that to where that like the energy of the world used to work more in favor of going outward and now it shifted to coming inward. And I think that it just doesn't feel as necessary anymore to do the way that it might've felt 10 years ago or whatever. It's a different climate. I think it's a different relationship we all have to ourselves. And it's also, it does put you in danger to kind of wear that externally because that it is always, whenever you're out in any kind of public way, that's a performance like your entire social presence is a performance you know unless you're unless you're in the intimate spaces with people that you can trust and unmask with and all that that's a lot to take on there's there's uh no one is entitled to your labor in that way you know or your pain in that way if it's something that would be painful i do think that it's important still to have like it's in the same way that it's important to have people out there educating about different cultures or different experiences of marginalization it's not important for everybody who's experienced those things to become a token example of them or become a figurehead of them and not even important it's not um it's not healthy for that to be the case so the people that choose to educate that's like a beautiful thing but it can't be a requirement for everybody because I mean, nobody owes any kind of labor like that. Anybody that wants to opt out should get to because it's already just a terrible hell to be marginalized in this world because it's always this like fight for survival whenever you're in, in the public sphere. And it's just like, stop. Like it is exhausting. Just stop. I agree. Everyone should just stop because life is hard enough as it is. Surviving under capitalism is hard enough as it is. Just leave everybody alone. Leave everybody alone. Yeah. But I'm proud of Dylan because she went to uh, Peru <laughs> and then she went to France at the end of July. Wow. And then, yeah. And she looked fabulous the whole time. And then she went to the Eras tour most recently. And those things are all very beautiful. And I hope that she had a really nice time. I wonder if she has someone like managing her tiktok for her she must right I'm not sure she has like recurring friends and a lot of people it seems like around her in person or not a lot of people but there's people regularly around her in person so i don't know but she would uh, be so hard to look at your comment sections when you're such a big creator and you have so much hate coming your way she also makes I think her net worth is over a million at this point. So I'm sure that when things got really bad, hopefully she would turn to somebody (laughs) in some way like that. But I know that she said when she went to Peru that she was there alone and that she was traveling alone. So I'm sure that means she's just like uploading things at least. But that doesn't mean you can't have somebody in managing your comments. So maybe. Well, I hope she does because she doesn't need to be reading all that bullshit. No, it's really, really overwhelming. And people don't, they really dehumanize you. They really dehumanize. And it's uh, not something I think a human brain is supposed to be able to handle that level of just hate towards somebody that's not even you. Like, it would be so dissociative. It would be so, it would be so difficult to like, not just dissociate through the experience of going through a bunch of comments that are just calling you something that you're not Mm -hmm. and being so vitriolic about it. I am experiencing that to some degree this week, but, but, uh, and partly about the trans thing, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's just like in a way baffling because you're like, you're just not even getting it right. But then in another way, it's just deeply like eventually you start to be like, pummeled into feeling like maybe this massive horde of horrible people is right (laughs) and it's just like not something a human brain should ever have to handle it's highly highly traumatizing and it would be 
of time so much more if you went like mega viral in that way. I can't even imagine on that level. Cause even just yeah. having honored, cause each one person is like obsessed cause they're all mentally ill and, and not in a, just in a like violent way. Like they're all people that don't have anything better to do and are just sick in the head and like obsess. So they'll go into your comments and they will comment a hundred comments mm-hmm. yep. about all these nasty things. And if you return their energy, they'll try even more to upset you. And if you don't return their energy, they'll try to draw you over to their page and they'll at mm-hmm. you on their page so that they can get a bunch of clout and views because that's all you are to them is a bunch of clout and views and mm-hmm. something to take out their anger and defensiveness and anxiety and fear and French fragility on in a violent way, often rhetorically violent. I, I really, I think people are, are very quick to not see violence when it's not someone getting punched in the face, but we need to, yeah. we need to grow up a little bit. We need to have a real conversation about how people can get hurt and how easy it is to treat them like a human instead, because it makes a big difference and people matter. And this, this whole thing can be such a cesspool and people really forget humanity when they're in a comment section, leaving a hundred comments to try to piss a creator off. It's a person and it must be so hard to do that at a, at a scale of like 10 million followers can't even imagine the way she keeps smiling through it. You know, it's amazing. I mean, if I was making a million dollars, I'd find a way to smile. Honestly, well, that's <laughs> the thing. Like, there, are, like- there are levels of privilege, like, okay, yeah, you can go zip off to Peru and like, those are good things. You know, those are, um, those are things that probably do make it a lot easier. Yeah. But- when I was going through it, I can go nowhere. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, but there's still a ceiling. There's still a ceiling. Mm-hmm. There's never going to be a time when she'll be safe. But some people will sort of chalk it up to, well, you're at that level on social media. It's just par for the course. It's part. It's part of the. It's just part of the territory. That's what you chose, and it's like no, no one chooses to be abused on a national scale. I mean, there there are roses and thorns with it all when it comes to social media, anything, especially when you're an influencer at that level. But luckily for Dylan, like her whole career isn't TikTok. She has a career outside of TikTok. She can walk away from TikTok for the next year and still be a millionaire and still make content in other places and get featured in all kinds of different things because she's bigger than TikTok. She's definitely bigger than TikTok. That's true at this point. Absolutely. Drew Barrymore was like kneeling to her. So, (laughs) so she's definitely bigger than TikTok and uh, I'm sure we'll, and she tends to get brand deals. She's had um, deals with Charlotte Tilbury and Kate Spade and uh, a couple of different like cosmetics, like uh, different she's been she's modeled like sportswear she's and she's done show like award kind of things it's just kind of weird that raggedy ass bud light is like reaching out to her like hey you want to drink her piss water beer and then like kind of ruined her life it's so weird because they don't even fit her image at all yeah and I think it's a, a shame because you can kind of ask why did she even take the deal? But I, I honestly think it's because she's just a very open person who seems really open to like new opportunities. And it probably came at her and she was just excited to partner with them and do something fun and got her face on a thing and was excited about it. Like, I don't think she thought super deeply about whether it would destroy her brand to be part of Bud Light or whatever. And that's so sad because it was such an innocent, like, I think that's, that's my take on it because. I mean, I know she's not knocking back Bud Lights on a Saturday (laughs) night. I don't know her. Maybe. (laughs) I don't think so. She is fainty. I can't imagine. (laughs) I don't know, but I don't, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't anymore at this point. (laughs) 
Were you knocking back Bud Lights before this? No, no, no. If I was Dylan, I wouldn't anymore. That's what I'm saying. I was not. I I can't stand beer. I am a wine person, if any kind of alcohol. And I am a water person. Usually not alcohol. Yeah. I can't handle alcohol at all anymore. No, that's a shame. I mean, it's not that much of a shame. It's, uh, I never did it very, I never was like super into alcohol, but I do like a nice glass of wine every once in a while, but you can go without, it's all right. (laughs) Yeah. There's more joy. There's more beautiful things in the world. Are you tired of feeling unsafe online? Do you want to learn how to protect yourself from cyberbullying, doxing, and other forms of online harassment? Then look no further than Doxed the Podcast. Visit the website doxthepodcast.com to sign up for the Doxed free ebook full of helpful tips and resources for online safety. Plus, when you sign up, you'll receive the weekly newsletter with the latest updates on upcoming content. There are many ways to connect with Doxed, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord. Have a story to share or feedback to give? Use the contact form on the site to reach out or leave a voice message to be featured on the show. And for exclusive content, subscribe to the Doxed Supercast to gain access to the private podcast feed with member-only exclusives. Take control of your online safety and join the Doxed community today. And you're also able to speak on transness in a lot more depth than I can. Oh, I don't know. I feel like I don't have much more to say on that as an observer, not living the experience, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, I can't really speak to the experiences of binary trans people or people that have, I don't know, I think I have like a subtype of gender dysphoria, but I don't experience gender dysphoria in the way that people can when it is debilitating for them. Mm. And, uh, so in some ways, like, yeah, like it's definitely not a monolith and I definitely am not even, I'm not, I'm not really even the most common kind of trans person probably. So I probably cannot speak for most trans people, but I, you know, but I can also speak for a trans experience. Yeah. And I don't want to be one of those girlies. that's like my boyfriend's trans. So I know all about it. <laughs> I don't want to sound like that. No, it's, I mean, yeah, you can never really know, but you can also, I mean, I can only speak to my experience in the communities I've been in so far, you know? Yeah. And I think that's okay to do. And it's a really complicated topic and it gets people. And I think the big overall lesson is that gender is connected to race. Like that's the big end of the day idea for me. And also gender, it's like a a Foucault is do you know that philosopher Mm -mm. it's like a history of sexuality i think is where it was where he was mostly writing about it but anyway he's kind of the beginning of like a series of people that talk about gender like judith butler is another person that's important and it's all about like this idea that gender is a performance and not something that is like for example biological Mm -hmm. and that is i think a big key to a lot of the conversation too and it's something that a lot of conservative people will like rail against the idea that gender is a performance they need it to be inherent and again i think that just threatens their own assumptions about themselves and it's also just weird to need someone else to be something in order for you to feel comfortable being whoever you are it's like the same vibe that proselytizing christians give mm-hmm so you know just like you could literally just let somebody do whatever the hell they want why does it matter because you feel defensive but yeah i think in reality that's what it is it's like all gender is all a performance and so it's all about like negotiating society i don't know people have different levels of like awareness that that's true sometimes i think transness is about absolutely medical necessity of just like feeling okay in your body and feeling comfortable you know matching who you are which people do in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And then other times transness is just about not fitting into gender expectations. I don't know. So anyway, I can't speak for everybody. I definitely want to learn more about transness and all the different shades of it. I guess there's just 
There's so much to learn in the alphabet mafia. That's such a funny term. I never have heard anybody use it seriously. I think I've only ever heard it like on, on TikTok once, maybe. I think it's totally a TikTok thing. I think it's a TikTok thing. I also think La Dollar Bean is a TikTok term. What is that? You know how on TikTok you have to spell things funky ways so you don't get like shadow banned in the algorithm? Oh, People yeah, yeah. Spell the word lesbian. L E dollar sign. My friend, you've been watching a lot of lesbian TikTok. <laughs> a lot I of the dollar bean TikTok. I am. I. You know. I what? got all those thirst traps when I was on there in the beginning. Lesbian thirst traps are so much phenomenally better than uh, straight thirst traps. Oh my god, they're so hot. Like what? Yeah, the it's, fuck? it's 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 goddamn. <laughs> and then dude thirst traps, they're just like doing the bare minimum and like exactly. barely lip syncing things. It's just go away. Dude, thirst traps, you find out they essayed someone five years ago after they went viral. <laughs> yes, all of them. Not all of them, but you know what I mean. Not all of them. Many of them. <laughs> too many, too many. But no, Speaking those are lesbian thirst traps. Thirst traps I just started watching. Have you seen um, the Ultimatum Queer Love Edition? No. Oh, what is that? It's a real. Well, okay, it's a Netflix reality show. It's the second season of it. And the premise of the ultimatum is like a social experiment where these couples come onto the show. One of them gives their partner an ultimatum, like either we get married or we break up, which is terrible and toxic, right? You don't give, if you have to give an ultimatum, you just need to break up, basically. You don't drag someone down the aisle, but that's the show. Okay. And the second season is, is like women loving women, but two of them at least are definitely they thems but they refer to themselves as she on the show but i think since the show they are definitely they thems hmm. one of them was definitely opening like questioning her gender identity and i feel like they she is a they now at least but i say all this to say they're all super hot and i'm like i i have never seen a show where my jaw was just on the floor watching everybody just loving on each other and talking about relationships and being cute and going on dates but okay i'm not explaining this well so they give their partner an ultimatum marry me or we break up and then they switch partners right so there's like six couples and they're on the verge of breaking up and they switch partners and do a trial marriage with a stranger basically a stranger they go on a couple dates but then they choose someone to be in a trial marriage with and live with for three weeks while they figure out, do I want to marry the person I came here with? Do I want to marry this person I'm trying out for a couple weeks? Or do I want to go home single? Oh and my God. Three weeks. And then they go back to their original partner for another three weeks. And then they decide what they want to do. That just seems like an unrealistic whirlwind but you you really like the characters on the show and like the way that they're doing the dates and stuff i mean i don't love the people on the show but i think the show is fascinating we love that i it reminds me of this character deborah who was on uh, this netflix show that i watched it was a couple years ago called blown away it was like about glass artists and deborah was just like profoundly lesbian and also seemed very they themy but was not and yeah that was also a good show mm. but un unrelated to your show but also just a good show but anyway i i don't know i haven't watched any entertainment at all recently like i've been hearkening back to courage the cowardly dog because i'm in like an inner child entertainment phase mm. and i've been like avoiding i stopped paying for my netflix subscription partly because of the strike but partly because i just wasn't using it and i haven't been paying for cable for years and i just haven't like i don't i don't watch any of the streaming shows anymore which is weird maybe i maybe i'm like cut off from culture or something but i feel like culture is so striated and like fractured now that it doesn't matter yeah. there's no like universal show everybody's watching anymore anyway and there's nothing that it really feels that urgent to tune into anymore and I just don't, and I do feel a little cut off. Like that's, that's just, it feels, 
I wish I could throw myself into a new show. And and sometimes I do like those reality ones for some light watching, but I love yeah. shows where you can really like, you're like invested in the next episode. You're like, oh my gosh. Like my last favorite that I really liked was Haunting of Hill House. That one oh, yeah. just kept my attention every episode and was like so well it was like beautifully done. The characters were interesting. I haven't felt that way about a show since then. And that was like 2021 or something. I just don't, I don't know. I hope maybe after the strike, people will, they'll let human beings write some of that creative work again and, <laughs> and uh, get back to good entertainment. Cause I just feel like we're in this weird, like lack of anything really special going on. I don't know. Well, for just some fun, mindless watching and, being some hot babes you might like the ultimatum just for funsies you might also like the bear that's a pretty good show what's that about uh it's it's basically about this like really famous maybe famous chef i don't know top of the line michelin star chef who ends up taking over a family member's business that was kind of struggling in a completely different type of restaurant than what he's used to like michelin star restaurant to like greasy spoon kind of place and he brings all of his skills and experience there and kind of elevates not just the menu but the the work experience of the people that work there and there's some family trauma stuff that he goes through there's really interesting characters one in particular that i think you would definitely like it's a very good show and everyone's like, well, not everyone, but like half the cast is like pretty attractive. So they're just like nice to watch, you know? <laughs> nice. That's lovely. Nice to watch is half the reason why TikTok even functions. And it takes place in Chicago. And it, I just, I like shows that take place in big old cities, you know? Well, wait, what service is that on? Uh, Hulu. Yeah, I'll have to try to date somebody who goes on Hulu. I don't know. I should... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying for anything. Thank you for listening. Find additional content at doxtthepodcast.com.